everyone, and welcome to episode number 53 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can solve real-world problems with people that face them every single day. Today, we are going to go down the rabbit hole of the conference that Mike and I have just sort of recently come back from, Global OWASP AppSec in Dublin. It was a smashing good time, um, but we want to sort of just recap a little bit and cover, you know, some trials, tribulations, learnings. Uh, it was, you know, my first time in Ireland, in Dublin. And so just wanted to get some of our thoughts down uh, on tape. Is it tape anymore? On the bits and bytes of uh, digital recording. And, uh, and let you all know sort of how that conference was, um, some takeaways and uh, some things that you can go and watch or listen to yourself, some, some, some hot takes. If you don't want to watch the entire conference on video again, everything's available now. Um, so with that said, Mike, um, welcome back. How are things? Have you gotten over the jet lag? <laughs> yeah, uh, the jet lag was bad going there. Definitely not as bad coming back. <clears throat> Same for two young children, which I don't recommend traveling with, but it wasn't that bad. And it was a good conference. Good to travel around Ireland, see my people. So it's definitely fun. Yeah. See you, there were a see lot you of, in another continent. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's funny that we uh, live so close and can only see each other and you know when we're both traveling uh, yeah. <laughs> like across the world. Um, but... But yeah, a lot of McCabe's, a lot of McCabe uh, restaurants, uh, you know, pet shops, um, deli, pubs. pharmacy. Yep. Yeah. So uh, did you get any family discounts? <laughs> while you were there? No, it doesn't, doesn't fly, unfortunately. Oh, okay. It doesn't work that way. There's too many of us. So, okay. Got it. Um, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed going. Um, we had some friends that had moved out there a while ago. So it was, it was a good to go and like see some familiar faces. And it was, it was actually one of the first conferences that I've been to recently where one, it was sort of well attended. Um, I think they had like over a thousand people and two, um, was, um, was just like had a lot of good content and people were sort of, you know, less nervous about being around each other. Um, so I think it was sort of my first experience sort of feeling what it used to be like in conferences. I don't know if you had a, a similar vibe, but I think we're getting back into getting used to the new normal. Yeah, that was definitely good. I, mean, I was at CactusCon two weeks before that, and it kind of felt the same way. Like, it wasn't a huge conference either, but definitely, you know, felt like you had that conference vibe. Again, people excited to talk about security and to do hallway con and just meet people and network, which is a big change from the past few years. So definitely good to get that back. Um, and yeah, I thought the, I thought the conference was pretty good. I'm a little um, cynical about conferences. A lot of times I feel like there's a lot of regurgitated content, but I actually thought there were some pretty good talks and maybe it was cause it was international. So you didn't, didn't just get the same, you know, us based speakers. You got some, some new people, even though they did bring some us talent over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the web three stuff, but, um, no, I thought it was good. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. Um, 
and a, a bunch of different topics, which was was interesting too. And it wasn't the same tired old content. So I enjoyed it. Definitely recommend it. And Dublin's a cool city too. So that's always a bonus to have a cool place to visit. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, um, it was, it was great. You know, the, there's the, uh, there's the distilleries, the Guinness storehouse. Um, you know, the only one I had been to the, I had been to the Guinness storehouse in Baltimore. Uh, but I don't think it's quite the same. It's pretty good, but it's not, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't have the same, same history. I don't think. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend going, whether it's for a conference or not. Um, yeah, had a good time. Had a good time. So uh, thanks for the hospitality, Dublin. Um, and with that, I think, look, we one of the reasons that uh, I submitted even to this conference um, and uh, and wanted to attend was because they added this breakout the DevSecOps breakout and I thought that was like super interesting to have an entire track dedicated to DevSecOps because there's usually builder and breaker um, builder breaker defender is um, you know kind of seen as well and then so they had those three tracks and they had this entire DevSecOps track which is obviously what we submitted to being you know this podcast and um, and I and so I have some some thoughts there uh, but Mike you know you and I attended different talks. I tried to stay in the DevSecOps track just to to see what things were like, but you had some some sort of nice takeaways from, from some of your talks. What was, I guess, your favorite or anything that sticks out for you? Yeah, I liked um <clears throat> I liked the talk. Uh it's from a guy named oh, I'm gonna ruin his last name, Ben Hirschberg, I think. But um it was about Kubernetes. Um and it was interesting because he he runs a tool that uh, is for Kubernetes security, and he basically took a bunch of the statistics out of the clusters that they run their tool against their customers um, and kind of talked about how, like, what are the common things they find in clusters, um, which was pretty interesting. He also kind of compared it to the uh, Cloud Native Foundation and, and compared different projects based on if something was Cloud Native Foundation or not which was interesting. But I think my favorite thing about that was there were a bunch of vulnerabilities uh, like CVEs that were found in different um, either images or in Kubernetes clusters. And he he did a deep dive into those to say, okay, is this actually exploitable? Uh, a good example of that was there was a CVE that got flagged because something um, was a Go, Go library was there, but it got flagged even though it was only vulnerable if it was like in Java. So it was a good example of like, there's so many things that get flagged as security vulnerabilities, but they're not actually exploitable. And it's so rare that people go to the point of saying, okay, is this actually exploitable? So I thought that was, um, that was pretty interesting. I don't think the overall findings were super surprising about Kubernetes, but um, I think it was, it was pretty good and a, a lot of data to kind of look at. And he obviously knew, you know, quite a bit about Kubernetes. He also was one of the authors of Kubescape, which is an open source tool. Um, that looks pretty good. So, um, I thought that was a good talk and very well attended too. So, um, definitely pretty popular. Yeah. I think that Kubernetes is one of those things that was buzzy for a while that people are still using. And then we don't really talk as much about the security of Kubernetes anymore. (laughs) And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's because, I mean, maybe you have an opinion on this and maybe you covered it. Let me know. But I, I just... 
Is it because that it's just become abstracted away? So most people are using like EKS or or like AKS or something. Um, or do you think it's just because we've moved on to other, other or marketing has moved on to other things? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be, doesn't seem like there's as much buzz. Like I think we've gone past the buzz uh, phase with Kubernetes. And now it's people saying like, why do we need Kubernetes? Uh, but I did learn one, one Kubernetes related thing. The Domino's pizza tracker um, I learned is actually run in the stores on a Kubernetes cluster uh, that works with their web services to report where your pizza is um, in the process. So that's a pretty great use of Kubernetes right there. They need to work on their UI. <laughs> they have their infrastructure in pretty good shape, but they got to work on their UI because that pizza tracker is not, it's about as good as their actual pizza is, which is better than it used to be, but not great still. So they got to work <laughs> on that part. <laughs> We've officially gone down a tangent. That's, that's a talk in itself, you know, like some like pizza graphic, Kubernetes, pie charts. I mean, it can go a variety of different ways here. Yeah. Um, so that's one. That's one. What? So what? It was. What was good? What else was good? That talk. Were there any? Was there like a vulnerability in there that you took away from, or you just recommend folks go and check out this tool, Cubescape? Or yeah, I would definitely check that out. It looks like a good because it's benchmarked off of the um, the NSA Kubernetes hardening guide. So that's a pretty good benchmark to go off of. Um, and I think just the talk is interesting because you'll you'll see like a real world breakdown of common vulnerabilities in Kubernetes. Some of them are, you know, not too surprising. Some of them are maybe a little more surprising, but um, I thought it was just an interesting, interesting data breakdown. You know, it was kind of a, a data nerds um, kind of talk. So I thought that was I thought that was good. Um, the other one, I mean, I liked your talk. Your talk was pretty interesting, but I'll let you kind of cover what you talked about around Web3. Um, I'm still a Web3 newbie, so always interesting learning about that and uh, you know how security relates to it. Um, the other talk that <clears throat> you went to as well was um, from Dan Murphy and Frank um, from uh, Invicti. They did a whole deep dive into a couple OpenSSL bugs. Um, and I'm not a C guy for sure, but I always appreciate people who like know um, and can walk through C vulnerabilities line by line. Um, and that was a really interesting talk just to do a deep dive into, you know, why, uh, why this bug was bad, but not that bad and how it could have been worse. Um, so that was definitely an interesting, interesting talk from, from them. Um, and you'll re really appreciate it if you like diving into OpenSSL and the, all the issues it has. So that was a pretty cool talk. Did you like that one? Yeah, I thought it was good. I had to, I mean, unfortunately, I had to leave a little bit early to go and get to go and do my talk. Um, but the it was, yeah, I, I appreciated sort of the take and I did catch it uh, on video when it came out. Um, but I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I really I think one of the common themes was kind of well, that I really liked about the conference and that I highly recommend people watching the the videos for is just the realism <laughs> that uh, folks were coming to the table with. There was some like um, interesting vulnerabilities and things like that uh, and interesting sort of approaches to stuff. But I think a lot of times you go to conferences, uh, someone demonstrates something really incredible or amazing, and then you're like, okay, but what can I do with it? now you know like i can go and experiments or i can go in a lab or i can go and do this thing but 
you know, what am I, what can I take away from it? And what I liked about their talk was it was, it was kind of like, yeah, this sort of market infatuation with vulnerabilities um, and, you know, what they learned and how they, how they went through this process of discovery and, and, um, and sort of really taking all that in and that sometimes it's not sort of this like huge um, sexy reward at the end. It's like, it just kind of sucks <laughs> or, or we yeah. realize that we've, you know, we've put a lot of work into validating something that may not have a large impact, but you did the work and um, it's just as important. And that's, that's what I liked about, about that and take like sort of walking through their journey with them. Plus just really good presenters. I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, another very DevSecOpsy one, which I know you went to as well, was Chris uh, Romeo. I think I'm saying his last name right. Uh, his talk on tev, uh, 10 DevSecOps culture failures. I thought that was that was pretty good. Those were some good points. I mean, I don't remember all 10, but there were some good points about kind of ways to do DevSecOps the wrong way. Um, so I thought that was a good overview of things to think about when you're trying to implement DevSecOps. Example is like, you know, throwing a bunch of tools into a pipeline and being like, all right, figure out the thousand vulnerabilities that come out of it. Um, Cause you, you know, same thing back in the days when you ran Fortify and kicked a thousand page PDF over to developers and being like, figure it out. It's just the same problem if you're doing it via G Jenkins or GitLab or GitHub Actions, something like that. Like you can't just send a bunch of findings over and be like, all right, DevSecOps people, this is what we do. Um, so I think that was definitely a good, a good one as well to, to watch just to kind of get an idea of things he's learned and things he's seen go wrong and go right. Um, so I thought that was a good one. Do you have any takeaways from that? Yeah, I, I did like that talk as well. Um, and I think there are, I, I just agree with a lot of the things that he talks about. Um, like just the, I think, you know, I think I just mentioned one of them, which was uh, the infatuation with sort of like marketing terms and and buzzwords. And, you know, we poke fun at that. We have an entire podcast poking fun at this, right? Um, and I think um, just highlighting, one, it's great because everyone loves a top 10 list. Mm -hmm. uh, two, it's um, highlighting some of the, it, it, it it is a, it, they are culture failures. And I think that DevSecOps is primarily about uh, driving culture change through this methodology or the things that you do. And so I think that he touched a lot of the points that I really uh, like to get behind when it, when it comes to looking at DevSecOps as sort of this, um, not as the silver bullet or this thing that is a tool, which is kind of, um, we, we won't touch on it yet, but which is, which was kind of my, I guess my beef with some of the tooling and like the, the, the vendor representation, maybe we can circle back on that. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just loved the synopsis that he put together, um, for that talk. There's a lot of things you're going to go. Yep. I see that, you know, and he also sort of goes through sort of how to fix stuff, which I think is one of the big problems we always have is like, there's no, what do I, what do I do now? You know, it's always like, yeah, here's all the things you're failing at and that's it. So I think that I appreciated that he sort of wrapped it up with stuff that you should be doing or can do. So that was good. I like that one too. Another, that was oh. in the track that I was sitting on. Some other good ones in that track um, are like identifying when a vulnerability is not a vulnerability. Um, 
one of the ones that I liked uh, there was also um, kind of this idea of developer-driven security. Um, but yeah, you can you can watch all of these on on the OWASP YouTube playlist uh, if you're interested in that. Um, I think you mentioned it, but mine was just about. I mean, it was very similar culture oriented, but just tying the two things together of, you know, Web3 being a fast, fast paced. I don't, you can tell me what you took out of the talk, if anything, but Web3 is like this fast paced sort of development culture that is, that is cropped up in the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain and Web3 and just how DevSecOps sort of aligns with that or doesn't. And, you know, some of the common goals and common, common things that we're trying to hit and just kind of figuring out what, where the meeting point is between those two two things, if I had to try to summarize it in a sentence. Yeah, no, I mean, I liked your talk because <clears throat> again, I don't, I haven't done as much web three work as you have, but I just always think about the, the kind of companies that you work with. And this is what we were talking about before your talk too, was like, it's a 10 person team, maybe less than that. And they have crazy amount of responsibility and then if you are a typical security person, you walk in and you're like, all right, we got to do SAM. This is going to take three months. All right, we got to do uh, a risk assessment. That's going to take three months. All right, we got to do tooling integration. That's going to take six months. We got to do a whole enterprise sales cycle for you to get like an SCA tool. Like you can't, you couldn't possibly walk into one of these Web3 shops and be like, all right, here's your 24 month roadmap when they're making huge decisions, you know, very quickly um, and you can't possibly just like block all of their their decisions and block their development based on your you know crazy long roadmap so i thought it was it was like devsecops um security acceleration uh on steroids or crack or meth whichever one um but well all this. I, I think that's i think that's just a really interesting view of things yeah thinking about it it's like you know, even um, I'm trying to remember, I'm, I'm actually going through a slide deck right now. But one of the things Chris talked about in in the failures um, was I'm going to try to find that slide um, was talking about trying to do everything at once, you know, like this, this tool heavy, uh, silver bullet dev dev SecOps approach and generating all these alerts and tools and not having like the ability for a team to be able to do anything with them. And that's exactly, I mean, you will not even get in the door in a Web3 organization with that approach. So I think, you know, figuring out how to make a small step is the key and to make sure that you're building on the, like a good foundation and, and kind of listening to yourself when it comes to fundamentals. So, and that, that's kind of where, yeah, I mean, we're going to get to it now. The, the vendor, the vendor yeah. stuff, like, I think I you think, held back as long as you could. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just, I'm kind of, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm frustrated or disappointed or I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know what these feelings are that I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you can just talk it out. Okay. But, but it's, it's like all of the tools that we have now are just they generate so much information and i mean i was in that room and i think i saw like four or five vendors out of like what 20 that do the same they do some flavor of the same thing which is 
we take the information from your cloud service provider and all of your APIs and wherever your wherever this information is coming from, and we create a dashboard and we cut it in a different way so that you can take action on it. And the fact that there are so many vendors that do similar things in the same room, to me, kind of indicates a problem that that it's not solving any problems. It's just reframing the same issues. I don't know. what What's your take on that? No, I agree. I mean, like uh, tools, security tools are sold on how many, how many things do you check? And so like whenever you go into a bake off with like a static analysis tool and I've been between, you know, I've worked with customers doing this, the salespeople come in and say like, all right, give us an app and like, oh, look at this awesome report. Look, we found a thousand different things. There's, there's 50 criticals. You have all these things you have to fix. And it's like, okay, great. Um, you know, you and the other tool gave me like the same result set. This is just a huge amount of information that I have to process. Uh, but that's like their selling point is like, we will find everything. We will give you so many alerts. You won't be able to, you know, deal with all of them. And that's how that's how they think is like their value add is just finding everything, which I, I definitely get. But it's like if you ask the salesperson the question, OK, you found all this stuff. How could I ever possibly fix all of this? Um, and where do I start and what is your remediation recommendation and how fast can like this get retested? So a developer knows it's fixed and how can I make sure this doesn't, you know, happen again in regression like that's the that's the problem with every security tool. It's not just static analysis. It's like everything. It's cloud tools as well. It's like we check a gajillion things. Okay, I have a million red boxes. Where do I start? I have all these criticals. Where do I start? Um, so it's the same issue where people buy tools. They don't, you know, not every team has a bunch of application security or a bunch of cloud security people who can sit there and process the tool output. <clears throat> and I mean, I think that's why consultants still exist is because we we can do some of that work and, and you know, divine the, the meaning behind it all and figure out what actually needs to be addressed. But I think it's, again, there's still the overload of information that people deal with. And that's how vendors, that's how they sell. That's their, that's their selling point versus how do we fix your issues for you? And how do we help you focus on things you need to fix now? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's, I mean, it, um, don't get me wrong. I think that some of this stuff needs to be prettier. <laughs> you know, that's why I think folks are looking for alternatives to like AWS native tools or Azure native tools that already do some of the things that, that these newcomers to the market are doing is because they present it in a different, more compelling or, 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 or nicer way that is easier to figure out or view or give you the, those aha moments. But then once you've had, once you've gotten over sort of that honeymoon phase with the tool, like what, what are you actually going to do with it? I think that's where a lot of folks get stuck. I've had probably three or four client calls in the last few months where people come to the table and they're like, we have, we have a CSPM, we have an SSPM, we have SCA, we have SAST, we have DAST, we have all these things. And they're like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know? And yeah. it's because they've purchased all of these tools and now they are just trying to figure out what to do with it. And it's information overload and they don't know where to start. And they don't have a team that's big enough to start. Maybe it doesn't have the skill set. And so they reach out to 
you know, folks like us, consulting agencies or whatever, does it be like, okay, what do we do now? And how do we, how do we work through it? And, and it's just, it's hard. Even the SaaS tools, like one of the, one of the worst themes in SaaS tools that I've seen is like this inability to have standalone versions of scanning tools. So now you see that when you're running source code scanners, you never have the option. And if and someone challenged me here, but some of the tools that we've relied on in the past no longer have a standalone version. So as a consultant, you can't just go and buy like, you know, a SAST scanner and then run it on an application and then move on. No, you've got to like upload it to the cloud or you've got to mm-hmm. send the client data or you have to stand up all this infrastructure or you have to buy, you know, some sort of um, account in a multi-tenant environment to upload and run this stuff because everything is going to the cloud and and all that which is great i think that's fine and all that but we're losing the ability to do some of this work on a more granular level because we're we're like so big picture on all of this and so i i get pretty frustrated with that and you've started to see a lot of appsec teams or folks that have appsec teams moved open source tools because of that because they're like well i can't you know i can't actually get granular in the weeds with any of this work because I, I no longer have the ability to do this with enterprise tools. So now you see things like SEMGREP and CodeQL and even people just using GREP, you know, like we've all used GREP and we all have done that to find issues. But now it's like that is the easiest way to get like a, a, a large amount of work done. I say privately, but I mean sort of like as an engineer or as a consultant mm-hmm. is that's the easiest way to do it now. Um, and that's just like, I think that's just the wrong direction. You know, I just think that we've, we've kind of crippled security engineers a little bit when companies don't have budgets to buy these sort of like hundred thousand dollar, $200,000 tools. Yeah. I bet if you, if you pulled, you know, AppSec folks, nine out of 10, and the last person would probably be drunk, but uh, nine out of 10 people would say, I'd rather have just the code and enough time to do a manual root review and some regex, like just have, you know, a bash shell. Um, I think they'd rather have that than be forced to use a commercial tool and parse through all those findings because half of that is, you know, understanding what the actual results mean, um, figuring out where the actual sync is on things and, working with the world's worst UI, installing on Windows, not going to name any names on that, um, waiting six days for the scan to finish. You know, like how, how are you going to scope an assessment for 40, 80, um, 120 hours, something like that, and then wait a week for your results to come back? Like it's just not possible in the, in the consulting space. And it's also true if you're internal too. So I think most seasoned AppSec people who do code review and assessments would much rather just have pure code review, regex, um, maybe something like SEMGREP and just, you know, hammer away at it versus being forced to go through that cycle of working with a commercial tool. Nuts. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty bad. I know. And it's, and it's like, I mean, I understand why, because the commercial tools like consultants aren't the client, right? It's like the, it's the industry client. And so having a licensing model or something like that, that's, um, you know, for consultants to sort of use, you know, per engagement, it's just, it's not, it's probably not going to be super lucrative and, you know, and that, that, that's like what is giving rise to all the open source stuff. But 
Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, I feel like that's the wrong direction. And so, you know, now I think that the, the hot button items or the hot buzzwords are like CSPM, SSPM and SCA and SBOM. And with, you know, uh, and so it's now we have all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's new, new buzzwords, new DevSecOps, DevSecOps buzzwords. I don't, yeah. I, that's why I really like when developer focused tools add security functionality versus standalone security tools add, uh, add developer functions. Perfect example is GitHub. I think GitHub could just eat the entire security world, honestly. Like they'll, if they choose to go that route, they'll just continue to add more and more dev focused tools. Um, you know, they have a good SCA offering. Every Monday, my projects get a PR opened to update my, you know, my gems or whatever libraries. If they're out of date, click a button, PR is merged, I'm done. You know, like yeah. it's just, it's super easy. Um, I can integrate SEMgrep really easy as GitHub actions. Like it's just those kind of things are, I think you're going to eat this, the huge security slow moving wheel because you don't have the security people running all these tools. That's not DevSecOps. Having a security person watch the tool is not DevSecOps. So enabling, you have to enable developers, but they're not going to want to use a tool that takes six days to finish, especially if you're blocking builds. So you have to have those fast, uh, you know, quick, quick results to developers to make good decisions on. And I just, I think dev tools do that better than, um, than the pure security ones. So. I think it'll be interesting to see to see how GitHub and GitLab, they've done some of that as well, adds more of these tools. So you just have that built into your workflow. Um, I think that'll be a good direction to take things, have it centralized, have it as close to the code, have it into the developer's workflow. Um, in on the cloud side, it'd be a little different, but you could do a lot of things if you use pipelines to deploy cloud resources too. I mean, we've talked about I'll say I'll say my favorite uh, acronym IEC. We talked a lot about IEC security, and um, you can do a ton in the pipeline. So I think we'll see more of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that we are seeing more of a move, like you said, to these tools that run in the pipeline, which I think is great, and I think that that's some that's a trend that I like. Uh, and I could be just too old school here, but I do think that there's still a place for um, SaaS tooling that might take a long period of time, but isn't, you know, happens out of band. Because I think that there's some value in the code tracing aspect of like larger SaaS tools, even if even if they get stuck every once in a while. So I do miss that, you know, I miss that, um, that context of being able to do that kind of thing, but maybe it's just moving in a direction where you're just gonna have to trace those things manually. Um, but I, I, I think that there is still some value there and I don't think that we should lose development in tools that do that kind of thing. And I do think that SEMgrep is trying to enable that in some way. But being able to like build a project and trace something source to sync and do that input tracing and get context around the application on the whole is is still valuable. And I think that we used it's it's almost like we used to have that in every SaaS tool, 
then we started to do CICD um, sort of uh, scanning, but it's become more vertical. And now that we have that and that's being integrated and those tools are better, faster, stronger, <laughs> you know, um, and are and are more in line with the way that we operate, we've started to kind of lose development and have folks that use less and less traditional SaaS that does trace from source to sync. Um, and, but maybe it's, maybe it's not as valuable as I am thinking because, you know, we don't do it anymore. So maybe it's just like, that's where the pen test comes in or the, you know, stuff on the far right side comes in. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely see the, it's definitely nice to have, to have that, especially if you're doing, if you're just doing a very quick hit code assessment where you can't sit there and like learn, you know, how data goes from the front end to the back end, <clears throat> that would definitely be helpful to have something to just kind of point you at where everything ends up. And especially if it's like this user data goes through three controllers and then ends up in a raw SQL query, like that's useful to have to make sure it's, you know, a valid SQL injection, not just a, a bad SQL query. Um, so I think that's definitely useful, but I don't know if if we want to push more of this to developers to be alerted on. Um, I feel like they, you know, they can right click in Visual Studio Code and go to the definition of of like a method and then trace these stuff just as fast as if a tool is telling them, you know, especially if it's their own code base where they can, they should know it pretty well. So um, I think there's definitely still some value. And yeah, I think some grip, the new version is doing source to sync tracing versus just doing pattern matching. Um, but, you know, that might become more interesting if, if these tools can be more aware of authorization and authentication, if you can find things like missing authentication filters or authorization filters, things like that, like that would be pretty interesting to see, um, to see more of, and you can, I think you can kind of abuse SEMGREP to do that kind of stuff like look for missing filters, but I don't think it's as context as aware as, um, as you'd want it to be. So I think there'll be some interesting, interesting use cases there. It'd be really yeah. interesting to see if you could do relationships like in, um, in Terraform too. That'd be definitely interesting to see if, if you could map those. I know OPA, you can do some of that, but um, not at the level I'm thinking about. Yeah. I mean, all in all, I think we're thinking of it in the right way. Like we're inserting different types of tools at different parts of the SDLC. And that's what we've always been asking for. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> so, um, so that's good. Um, one of the things that you just reminded me of that we didn't talk about that came out of OWASP Dublin with some of the AI driven um, talks, because I mean, with all the buzz around chat GPT and GPT three and AI assisted coding and co-pilot and all this stuff, it was, it was bound to happen. Um, did you have any, uh, la I mean, we're, we're running up on time, but did you have any last minute thoughts on AI insecurity in code? or the talks associated with that topic? I think oh, we kind of touched on this about Kubernetes, but I think we're at the like, uh, not quite the peak of the hype cycle with AI. Everyone, you know, ChatGPT came out and a million startups, you know, filed their C-Corp, you know, filings to become the next great thing. So I definitely think they're, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that it's not pretty amazing and that the results aren't useful. Like you and me talk about this stuff all the time and it, there are some really good use cases. 
is it going to is it going to do a lot of things that other tools do pretty well is it going to do them better i don't i don't know like you know i, I think my favorite term for chat gpt is uh always confident often wrong and with a security tool you can't really be i mean i should i should caveat to say a lot of security people are <laughs> always confident and often wrong um but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so chat gbt is basically a security person <laughs> yes but way way cheaper so you got that going for you um i mean i think there's going to be some interesting use cases and i've seen people use it for like code review i've messed with it with like iem policies to do some analysis so i definitely think there's going to be interesting use cases for it and there's obviously people freaking out about its use cases right now um and there's more research to be done about ways to attack it um so uh yeah I, we can talk a lot more about that on probably a standalone episode but yeah it's good to see that that's getting talked about now i just hope that the like stupid security hot takes get filtered through quickly so we can get to like the meat of the issue and and trying to address real problems yeah if you're interested in in how it it kind of came to came to light in um in the conference, you can certainly go and check out the uh, the talks about that. Let me go and find, let me just make sure that I have the right, um, let me just clear the filter on the schedule and I can tell you who talked about it and what it was one of the keynotes around AI assisted coding by Dr. Magda Chelly or Kelly. Um, and I think, I don't think you and I agreed with uh, everything in there. I think we had some different takes. Uh, on it but i what i do really appreciate about the talk is that it wasn't like ai is going to solve everything and it kind of addressed some of the legal concerns um definitely some of the uh rights management concerns or like trademark and copyright and stuff that you have to think about and um how folks are thinking about or using it and it also sort of showcased uh where it can be wrong and and some of the things that that we've experienced uh but I will say that um, our next topic will definitely be around ChatGPT, AI-assisted coding, and you know how we've experimented with it and um, approach security with it. Um, and I think really uh, that that is going to be more about using it rather than um, like this theory around what it's going to change in the future and all of that. I just think uh, some more practical stuff uh, in our next topic in episode 54 will be good. Um, any final final words, final thoughts, final hot takes on Dublin, Ireland, the global OWASP AppSec, or anything else you want to talk about, Mike, before we close out? Uh, I'll hit all of them. Uh, okay. Ireland, great. <laughs> Dublin, great. AppSec Dublin, great. That's it. Okay. <laughs> but you didn't, hit the, you, didn't, you didn't hit the other things, you know? Uh, beer, great. Yeah. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, very similar uh, sort of sentiments there for me. Um, I really enjoyed the conference. Um, thank you very much to all the, the the vet folks that that put that on uh, and got folks together. And uh, it was it was a real sort of um, nice moment to, to like meet new people, especially internationally, and to have a conference that was so well organized. Food was good. Um, you know, content was good. People were good. Uh, and it felt it felt like a really good sort of coming home 
to uh, OWASP. And it seems like there's going to be another global OWASP US um, happening in DC. When is that happening again for folks that want to go to that? Or I think it's September or October. Yeah. So definitely uh, make an appearance there. Um, might find us there too. Um, but uh, but yeah, really good conference. Please check it out. Uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes too to if you want to go look at any of the videos we talked about today. Or if you wanted to see uh, my video, if you're interested in any of that, please do. If you have any comments or want to reach out directly, you can. As always, you can now comment on the video if it's about that topic. You can reach out to us at security at r2dso.com. Hit us on Twitter at r2dso. Um, or just um, give us a shout out, comment, uh, star. Do what you need to do on whatever your favorite podcast provider is, and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.